Good morning. I'll be reading the scripture for this morning's sermon. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 859. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on him. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. But we're in the middle of a series right now on the nature of the church. And last week, Pastor Benjamin wonderfully preached about the nature of pastor elders. He taught us how pastor elders are given to us as God's church to help guide, lead, and protect us. And to put the role of a pastor elder into the language of our church's vision statement, pastor elders are to lead the church into enjoying the living Jesus and are to guide and protect them from any teaching or pattern of behavior that would lead them away from the living Jesus. This is what Hebrews 13, 17 called keeping watch over the souls of those who are in the shepherd's flock. But now this week, we're turning to the other office of the church, as we call it, the other appointed position of leadership. We're going to talk about deacons this morning in the local church. And so as we begin, let me say this to frame everything that we're going to talk about this morning when it comes to deacons in the local church. God cares about your present physical weakness and suffering. He cares so much, in fact, that he gives you and I, as his church, deacons as a help for our vulnerability. And that is good news for finite and fragile people like myself and like all of us. So if you would pray with me, and then we'll get into this text in Acts 6 and see what it has to say to us about deacons. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you, as that song said, that your steadfast love has made a way and that you yourself have paid the price. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would delight us with your faithful love for us displayed in Jesus Christ. And I pray that that love would cause us to overflow into acts of service and mercy to this church and to our world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the great servant. Amen. Well, as we look at 
the topic of deacons this morning in Acts chapter 6, we're going to see three things from this passage about deacons. First, the need for deacons, and then the, uh, I forgot my second point, the role of deacons. There we go. The role of deacons, and then finally, the heart of deacons. So the need for deacons, the role of deacons, and the heart of deacons. But first, let's look at the need for deacons. And as we jump into the middle of the book of Acts this morning, let me just give us a a short summary of what's gone on in the book up to this point in chapter 6 so we know where we are. So at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus is raised from the dead and ascends to take his seat in glory in heaven next to God the Father. And from there, as he's crowned the king, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon his church in Acts chapter 2. And in one day, 3,000 people are added to the number of the church and embrace Jesus as Savior. And from there, the church continues to grow in the midst of threat and opposition. And in the chapters right before this, in chapters 4 and 5, we see two specific instances of threat and opposition to the church. In chapter 4, the church faces threat of persecution. And these Jewish religious leaders capture the apostles and put them in prison, but they pray to the Lord and he gives them boldness to continue preaching even in the face of persecution. And then in chapter 5, the church faces the threat of their public witness being tarnished as these two members of the church, Ananias and Sapphira, lie in this act of hypocrisy and greed. And God, in his mercy towards the church, strikes down this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, because he wants his church to be a distinct witness to the world. And then we come to chapter 6, and in this chapter, the church will face another threat, a a threat that on the surface doesn't seem as severe as those in 4 and 5, as severe as persecution and hypocrisy, but one that is just as serious. So if you would, read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 with me again. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, in the time of Acts 6, widows were a particularly vulnerable group of people. In the ancient world, when a woman was widowed, she no longer lived under the safety net of her husband's provision. And so what the church does, the early church stepped into that problem and instituted a program to meet the tangible needs of widows in their midst. That's that daily distribution that's being spoken of there in verse 1. But as the church grew, the the Greek-speaking widows, that's what that word Hellenist means, it's Greek-speaking Jewish people, the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected. And and, and think of it this way. This will put it a little bit more in our own context. So this early church is busting at the seams. 
We read in verse 1, it's increasing in number. People are coming to Christ. New ministries like this one to the widows are popping up left and right. It's wonderful. The church is growing. It's vibrant. And then complaints start to roll in. Needs aren't being met. Now, we get no indication from the text that, that the apostles intentionally neglected these widows, but in the craziness of church growth, people begin to slip through the cracks. And the apostles who've been running this distribution for the re- widows quickly look around to one another and realize, we are in over our heads here. This is more than we can handle. We can't continue to do this along with our God-given ministry of preaching the word and prayer. And so we see it's not just the widows that are vulnerable here. It's the leaders of the church. In fact, it's the whole church that is vulnerable. And every day, you and I alike experience barriers in our life, roadblocks in our life from experiencing the joy of the living Jesus. While these roadblocks could be any number of things, often in our life, those roadblocks manifest as things that are physical and material in nature. So an unexpected medical diagnosis, a child born with a birth defect, financial strain, the stress of having a new child, and something as simple as broken heat in the church building are all examples of physical situations that threaten to steal our joy in the living Jesus. And if this is true for all of us, that our physical weakness and suffering can keep us from fixing our eyes on Jesus, it is more acutely true for those in the most dire of physical circumstances. So in one sense, poverty or physical suffering affords many people a spiritual perspective that those of us who are numbed by the ease and pleasures of this world will never achieve. There's a heightened, your senses are heightened whenever your material needs are not met quite in the same way. But in another sense, though, extreme physical circumstances and strain and need can snuff out any joy or spiritual vitality the heart might begin to experience in Jesus. And to put it in other words, it's hard to get your head above water and swim in the right direction when you feel like you're always drowning. And this is precisely why the the church, Christians, ever since the time of the apostles, have uniquely stepped out to care for the poor. That's why that's been a reputation of the Christian church ever since the very beginning. In fact, the the Roman emperor Julian, who, who reigned about 300 years after Acts 6 was written, had this to say about the Christian's care for the poor. And notice in this quote, both his disdain, but also his admiring nature of what they're doing. He says, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. You see, Christian care for the poor was the primary reason Julian gives in that quote for why Christianity spread so rapidly in the ancient world. Now, 
This is a little bit of, of an aside from our main point here, but do we take care of the poor this seriously? Do we, as a church, have our hearts directed towards those who are most physically vulnerable and suffering, like the early church did, like the apostles did here? But Acts 6 tells us that we all, as individuals in our own lives, and collectively as a church, have physical, tangible needs which make us vulnerable and threaten to take our eyes off of the living Jesus. And if you combine these physical needs and weaknesses that we all have into a context of church growth, the church starts to look like a car that has no suspension. The church is constantly swerving to avoid potholes, even the smallest of which threaten to shake and jostle the vehicle of the church off course from enjoying the living Jesus. But Jesus knows our frame, as David read earlier, and he provides for our vulnerability and weakness in the form of deacons. So let's look at what the role of deacons is. Let's keep reading here in verses. We're going to read verse 2 again and then down through verse 4. It says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, in the face of this threat, the apostles charge the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists, in the church to pick wise and spirit-filled men to run this ministry of distribution. And what we see here, these seven men listed in verse 5 become a model for what the church would later formalize as the office of deacon. So so think of these seven men as like proto-deacons, the prototype for what deacons would become. And under the guidance of God's spirit, the apostles appoint these deacons specifically to address the weaknesses and vulnerability that had been revealed in the church as it grew. God gives deacons to his church for this precise reason, to help us with the physical and material barriers that threaten to steal away our joy in the living Jesus. Now, we get that title, deacon, from the Greek word diakonia, which simply means service or to serve. So that's the word that's translated in verse 1, if you're using a pew back Bible there, as distribution at the end of verse 1, and in verse 2 as serve, to serve tables. And that's the simplest definition of a deacon that we can give. Simply put, deacons are the appointed lead servants in the church. They're tasked with mobilizing the church to minister to the physical and material needs of this community and our community at large. And notice, the deacons are never appointed as a separate leadership structure to the pastor elders. God does not appoint deacons to the pastor elders like the house is to the senate. 
That's not the way that God organizes things. God has given his church a team of pastor elders who lead and shepherd and a team of deacons who meet practical and tangible needs in the church and the community under the leadership and pastoring of pastor elders. And all of that's not specified here in Acts chapter 6, but if you want, we don't have time to this morning, but go read 1 Timothy chapter 3, where all of this is fleshed out by the Apostle Paul in more detail. But I think another helpful way of framing what deacons are and what they do for the church comes if we return to the illustration I used at the end of the first point about our church as a vehicle. Now, if you don't have any form of suspension, or if your suspension's going bad on your vehicle, no matter how rigged up your truck is or whatever you're driving, you are going to feel every bump that you hit acutely, especially if you're driving in PA where those bumps happen like every five feet on the road. And these bumps will threaten not only to make your ride uncomfortable, but they'll threaten to jostle the car so much that you unintentionally swerve off course and end up in a ditch on the side of the road. But if your car has effective suspension, then you won't feel the small bumps. And even the bigger bumps, their blow will be lessened and you won't feel them as much. Deacons are like the shock absorption system of the church. They're like the suspension on the vehicle of the local church. You see, as we are driving along, as we as a local church are pursuing the mission of enjoying the living Jesus, deacons are there when ministry needs arise to meet them so that it doesn't threaten the entire unity of the whole church. And we see one of the biggest ways the church tends to hit potholes and veer off mission, specifically here in Acts chapter 6. Now, what do I mean? Well, the apostles, which, which are, I think it's safe to say, are here functioning like the elders do later on in the life of the church. They hear the complaints of these Hellenists. The widows aren't getting fed for goodness sake. Like, this isn't just casual need. This is real need. It's urgent need. It needs to be met. But notice the apostles therefore in verse 3. So the needs, there's a huge need. Widows aren't being fed. And what do they say? Therefore, let's appoint help to meet their physical needs so we can continue to preach the word of Christ and pray. Now, many pastors' instincts and my own instincts as a pastor is to insert an entirely different therefore into that equation. So so to put it into our own language and modernize it a little bit for something that might arise in our community, a family desperately needs help with an unforeseen medical bill. And my response as a pastor most times is to say, therefore, I'll get on the phone with the family immediately and the the medical provider immediately, and we'll sort all this right out. And on the surface, that might appear noble. And it might even be what some of you expect from your pastors. But Acts 6 tells us that this dynamic is a huge pothole threatening to divert the church from enjoying the living Jesus. You see, God has given his church pastor elders 
to faithfully minister the word of Christ and to pray for the church. And God has given his church deacons in order to account for the vulnerability, not only of you all as the church, but also the vulnerability of your pastors, the finitude and weakness of your pastors. That's why the Lord gave us deacons. And he's given deacons to you as a gift as members of the church for the very same reason, to account for your vulnerability and weakness. So remember in verse 1, this complaint came from the Hellenists, these Greek-speaking Jews. And so essentially what was happening here in Acts 1, or Acts 6, if we can read into it a little bit, which I think we're safe to, given the details that the text provides for us, essentially care in this church was inadvertently flowing along cultural divides so that the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected because the apostles and the leaders in the church were Hebrews. And they were predisposed to see the needs of those who were closer to them, those who were of their own kin. But if you look at verse 5, and that list of names of these prototype deacons, almost all of them are Greek names. That's significant. You see, the apostles intentionally appointed people who would know the needs of these people and be able to meet them, who could serve these widows better than the apostles ever could. And the bottom line is, for us as a church, it's not good for you as members of this church if your pastors do everything in this church. So just to almost reduce it to the absurd, you don't want Benjamin up on the roof fixing the broken AC unit during the week. You don't want him doing that. And maybe more pertinently, you don't want him handling all the emails related to fixing a broken AC unit up on the roof. You don't want David coordinating meals for your family after you've had a baby or after somebody in your family has gone through a major surgery. I'm sure David's had a kid. I'm sure he could get some of those needs, but not as well as some of you might meet those needs. You don't really want me doing anything around here more than preaching and teaching because I have almost no practical skills whatsoever. It is for your good that there are deacons. Church, Tom Gwynn, our deacon of finance, knows financial needs in our church and how to meet them better than any of the pastor elders. Rick Gesswine, our deacon of immigrant ministry, knows the needs of our immigrant refugee community more than any of us on the pastor elder team do. Jay Martin knows more about maintaining this building than probably anybody in this church does. So this is how God has designed his church. And notice what happens when deacons are in place, and when the shocks, the potholes of ministry that come up are absorbed by deacons, notice what happens. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. When deacons are appointed as leading servants to seek out and meet the ministry and material needs of the people. And when pastor elders are free to minister the gospel and pray, people enjoy the living Jesus. That's what happens. 
And we've seen this same dynamic play out on a smaller scale that happens in these seven verses in the life of our church over the last four years. So so just as a little bit of history, we as a church over the years had let deacon ministry kind of unintentionally fade into the background of our life together as a church. We had several folks that were functioning in unofficial diaconal roles, but they weren't appointed. They weren't commissioned in front of our church. People couldn't say their names. And we as an elder team started to talk about how we wanted this to change. And then the fall before COVID, we experienced an influx of growth immediately after we were down one of our staff pastors who had left to take a pastorate closer to his family in the Midwest. And then COVID happened. (laughs) And every elder agenda and Benjamin's email inbox were filled with Acts 6 type things. And so we moved at the beginning of last year. We viewed it as ministry priority number one. We need to appoint deacons. We were not doing a good job as your pastors of unleashing the potential of the word of God in our church. And we have now tried to move towards that. And since then, we've appointed six men and women to serve as deacons and deaconesses over specific areas of ministry. And we as pastors, and I've heard some feedback from our church, we're starting to feel some of the relief of that. We have pastors who are able to dedicate themselves to preaching and prayer and counseling and leading. And we have deacons who are helping to meet the ministry needs that arise. And people in our church are are feeling loved and cared for. And that's all because of the Lord's grace to us in giving us deacons. And I'd say just two things along those lines for you all as as members and regular attenders of this church. The first thing I'll say to you is that if you are experiencing real physical and material need or you see someone else experiencing that, please tell us. Please make that need, need known and please Seek and move to meet that need with the help of our deacons. We want to make sure that we're continually moving in this direction to elevate the importance of caring for your physical and tangible needs so that you can see Jesus in all of his bright and shining beauty and glory. And the other thing I'll say is that if you see one of our deacons today in church, just if you think it's appropriate, just give them a hug and tell them thank you for the good ministry they're doing for the way that they are serving us. They're showing us what it looks like to serve in our midst. They're doing good work among us, and they deserve honor because of that. Well, lastly, let's look at the heart of deacons, and we're going to close on this point. So if you would look with me just one more time at verse 4 in particular. So in verse 3, they say, we're going to move, we're going to appoint men to help these widows. And then the apostles say in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, let me draw your attention to that word ministry in verse 4. Now, ministry is a dime a dozen Christian word, right? But in verse 4, that word, again, is the word diakonos, the word for service from which we get the word deacon. On the mouth of the apostles talking about their own ministry. 
The apostles are saying, essentially, you seven devote yourself to deaconing the widows, and we will devote ourselves to deaconing the word. And that observation in verse 4, I think, has so many implications. It has implications about about the humility that ought to be appropriate of your pastors uh, as servants. It has implications for how we elevate the ministry of meeting tangible needs up to the level of the ministry of the word. But here's the one implication I want to press into from this verse as we close. Every single one of you sitting here this morning who is indwelt with the Spirit of God is a deacon. Deacons are deacons. Pastor elders are deacons. And church members are deacons. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, if you would, turn with me as we close to Mark chapter 10. David read it. Uh, as our passage with our confession of sin and declaration of pardon. But we're going to read it one more time. Mark chapter 10. And in this text, the apostles, uh, or Jesus' disciples, the guys who become the apostles, are arguing about which one of them is going to have the greatest seat in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus cuts through their petty quarreling and through all of our silly aspirations for greatness. And he tells us what true greatness looks like. We're going to start in verse 32 with Jesus speaking. He says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Now, should come to no surprise to you, that word for servant there in verse 43 is the word for deacon. And Jesus is saying here that the heart for service, the heart that the appointed deacons as lead servants in the church possess, that our deacons at community here possess, that heart of sacrificial service must be the heartbeat, not just of the appointed deacons, but of every single follower of Jesus Christ. We must be ambitious for service. True greatness is found not in success in your career, not in raising the perfect children, not in finding a spouse, not in getting a perfectly optimized schedule, not in having disposable income. True greatness is found in pouring your life out, even in the most menial, unnoticeable ways for the good of others. We must strive to serve others so that others might experience joy in the living Jesus. That's the greatness that Jesus is calling us to. And that heart for self-sacrificial service, the heart of a deacon, can only be worked within us when we truly experience the love of the greatest deacon that has ever walked the earth. Look with me at verse 45 again. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, though he was arrayed in the splendor of heaven, shed that splendor and came to wash dirt and excrement off of his disciples' feet. 
The God of the universe became a vulnerable human being who underwent horrible physical suffering and death on the cross in service of you so that your sins might be forgiven. And when the heart of Jesus, the great deacon, who didn't come to serve or to be served but to serve, when that heart gets inside of you, you will lovingly and willingly give of yourself so that others can experience the joy of knowing him. And so my question as we close to you all today is, where can you root down and commit right now to finding your greatness in service of other people? What ministry or group of people has God been tugging your heart to, but that you've been ignoring because it makes you uncomfortable or because you see it as too impractical? Maybe it doesn't quite fit in your schedule. Maybe it's to jump into an existing ministry here at our church. Maybe it's to serve alongside of one of our deacons on a specific ministry team. Maybe it's to pioneer something brand new to serve hurting and broken people in our region. I would just say, don't limit the power of the sacrificial heart of Jesus at work in you. Look to his service for you, and may your enjoyment of him overflow into service of not only this church and the people in it, but to this city and to our world. And I pray that community would be a church full of deacons, people that are characterized by our self-sacrificial service and love for others. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so disposed towards seeking the place of glory. And I pray instead that you would make us people who, like you, seek the low place. Seek the place of service, where we seek to give of ourselves for other people. And Lord, as we do that as a church, I pray that we would see more and more people who know what it is like to experience in their present moment the reality of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for us. Lord, show us areas where we need to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of your kingdom. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction and change to our hearts and that we would truly be a church of servants. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.